If you have a Bible, you can uh, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 12. I'm going to read verse 12 through 22. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the premier chapters on the resurrection. And so, and what are resurrected bodies and all the benefits of the glorious resurrection. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 12 through 22. That'll be the text that I'll preach today. Uh, So if you're able, I'd love for you to stand with me and let's read the text together. Starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. But if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if if in this... If in Christ we have have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness that you've shown to us. Thank you for Christ sending your own son Christ to die for us, but also defeating sin, defeating death and being resurrected. And so because of the resurrection, Lord, we have hope and we thank you for that, God. We uh, pray that you would be um, amazingly merciful to us this morning as we look into your text and see the resurrection, see the benefits of the resurrection for us and how this glorious resurrection should shape our life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story, I want to make sure you, you hear what it is we're talking about when we talk about the resurrection. Uh, I'm just going to read from Luke's gospel. You could go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but I'm going to go to Luke's gospel and read the, the six, six verses, the story of what had happened. So Christ uh, died on the cross. He was buried on Friday. He was Buried on Friday, all day Saturday, nothing was going on. And on Sunday, one of the women went out to prepare the body for, for the final kind of burial. And she went out there, and this is what it says in Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, that Sunday at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared to prepare the body. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But then they went in. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living, that's Jesus, among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Amen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? And so this is the story of the resurrection. You can keep going. You can look at it in any of, any of the gospels. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about Jesus after he died was resurrected. So over here in 1 Corinthians 15 that we just read, uh, I want to make sure we understand some glorious implications or benefits for us. Because Jesus rose from the dead, what does that mean for our everyday uh, living? And so Before we do that, I want to make sure we understand the absolute importance of the resurrection. Why is the resurrection so important? 
in Christian churches, we talk about the death of Christ, the death of Christ, the cross of Christ. We talk about Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And sometimes we can, Sunday to Sunday, forget to talk about the resurrection. The resurrection is absolutely essential to the message of the gospel. It's not just that Jesus died on the cross. It's also that he rose. And without the resurrection, the cross is rendered meaningless. And so the Christian message, the essential part of the Christian message is Jesus rose from the dead. Here's a, a couple of quotes from me. John Stott, John MacArthur. There's a lot of Johns in Christianity apparently, but let's read John Stott. He says, Christianity is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at the heart. Remove the resurrection and Christianity is destroyed. It's true. The cross isn't just the most important part, right? It's the resurrection. MacArthur says it this way. The truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns and without which there would no other truths would even matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much as wishful thinking, taking its place among all other human philosophy and religious speculation. And so the resurrection is absolutely crucial. That's what we are celebrating here on Resurrection Sunday. And every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we celebrate on Sunday, not on Saturdays. That's why we worship on Sunday. So this is the weekend that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And as we're looking at the text this morning, we're going to see the importance of the resurrection and really what the resurrection of Jesus means for us, what it means for us. Now, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, in the text that we're picking up in verse 12, there were some people that were questioning the resurrection, the truth, truthfulness of it, the veracity of it. And so uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 wants to make sure that they understand what the good news of the gospel is, and then he's going to talk about it. So if you, on that same little chapter, if you go up to verse 1, he actually tells us what the gospel is. The gospel just means good news. It's the message of good news. There's really bad news, which is that we're all sinners. But the good news is, just because we're sinners, we don't have to be condemned to hell forever. We can actually be forgiven of our sin and live with Christ forever. That's the good news. And so he tells us that good news and centers it all in the essential thing, which is about Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. 1 and 2, he's just going to tell us that he's about to tell us the gospel. And then verse 3 and 4, he literally says it word for word. So verse 1, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel... So he's going to remind us in which I preach to you, which you received, which you stand, and by which you're being saved. So you're already Christians, but I'm going to remind you of this great message. And if you hold fast to it, this word I preach to you, uh, you'll be saved unless you believe in vain. And here it is. For I delivered of you as a first importance what I also received. Here's the message of the good news of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. In the Old Testament, they told us he was going to do this and he died. He literally died. Now, that's the cross. But the resurrection comes after that, that he died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so this morning, as we're looking at particular verses, one is to help us all see in this particular text what our hope for the resurrection is for today. So we have this moment until we die. And so those years we have or months we have or days or decades we have, we should have hope in this life. The resurrection gives us hope in this life. So that's the first thing. And then beyond that, there's hope for the future. So that's the second goal. So the resurrection gives us hope for these days we live and also gives us amazing hope for whenever we're with uh, Christ in heaven. And so what we're going to do here is see uh, 
those hopes. Calvin says this, Jesus' resurrection is the foundation and the substance of ours. So because Jesus was resurrected, one day when we die, we'll be resurrected with him in heaven. And he says, Jesus' resurrection is the foundation and the substance of ours, of what was accomplished in Jesus. Uh, It must be fulfilled in us also. For we die in Adam, we only recover life in Christ. And so the resurrection is crucial. If Christ's resurrection is taken away and it's just the cross, then our resurrection is taken away. (laughs) And so um, it's a big deal, the resurrection. So here we look here. uh, And what I'm going to go through, we'll we'll go through decently fast. um, But there's six little benefits that I want you to see in the text. The first one will start in 14. I'm going to start in 12 and we'll go through them. Let's look at verse 12. Now, if Christ just proclaimed or preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? He's been He's, he's told you that he was resurrected. And if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Now, the way that Paul's saying this is he's going to state them negatively. So he's, if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. So I'm going to take those, those six ways he says it, says it, and I'm just going to turn it positively. Instead of saying, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, then I'm going to say, because Christ's resurrection is sure, our preaching has meaning. So as we go through these six things, you'll see. So you can go ahead and put up the first one. Um, if, our, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching's in vain. But since that's not the case, Christ has been raised. Christ's resurrection ensures that our preaching is meaningful. Now, when you hear preaching, you probably think the guy with the mic on that stands at the front. And that is the case, right? That is preaching. Um, and that is what, what essentially the definition of preaching would be. But I don't want you to take away the fact that as you go through your week, as you go through your day, and you sit across coffee with your neighbor, or you sit in the break room with your coworker, and you tell somebody the gospel, or you tell them about what Christ has done, you are proclaiming Christ. And when you do it, because of the resurrection, those moments when you share the gospel with someone, it ensures that that proclamation of what Jesus has done has infinite value. It has infinite meaning. Because of the resurrection, when you share the gospel with someone, it's not wasted. It is worthwhile. It is fruitful. It is effectual. It has absolute infinite purpose. And the resurrection ensures that. Whenever I preach, whenever Chris preaches, whenever one of the pastors preach here, or whenever you share the gospel with anyone um, in, in your life, because of the resurrection, there's infinite meaning in it. It's not in vain. It has absolute meaning. That's the first thing that you see. If you keep going, it says in verse 14 again, if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is in vain, and then it says, and your faith is in vain. So the second thing that we can see, we're going to state it positively though, Christ's resurrection ensures our faith is meaningful. What saves? Grace through faith. We have to have faith. Trust, active trust in Christ that he died for us, that he took our place, and that his payment was absolutely sufficient. So we repent of our sin. So the resurrection actually ensures that our faith is not in vain. Our faith is effectual. It's fruitful. It has infinite worth and value. He says it again in 17, at the very beginning, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. Our faith is not futile. Not at all. Now, faith here is hope in the life to come. It's a real hope and promise that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we're all gonna die at some point. But when that happens, there is no such thing as just annihilationism. You don't just go into meaningless existence. Instead, because of faith, because of Christ's resurrection, if we have our faith in him, we are raised with him. 
Hebrews 11, 1, talking about faith, says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and for the conviction of things not seen. And if you keep going just five verses later, it tells us of the necessity of faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please Christ. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is absolutely essential. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, our faith has infinite value. We are hoping not just in Christ's resurrection, but ours too. Christ's resurrection ensures our resurrection. That's pretty awesome. Now, keep going into verse 15. So we saw verse 15, Christ's not been raised, our preaching's in vain, our faith is in vain. And then we'll see this right here in verse 15. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if that's not true, the dead are raised. So you could be lying. If you're saying that the resurrection is true and it's not true, you're literally misrepresenting God. Now, this number three ties into number one when we talk about our proclamation of the gospel has infinite value, but the, the actual substance of what we say is crucial. And so it's said positively, verse number three, Christ's resurrection ensures that we're telling the true gospel. Look around the world. There are 1,000 messages of how to be saved. The only true gospel is Christianity. Every other religion's wrong. Every other religion is literally slandering God because they are telling people the wrong way to be saved. Christ Jesus says, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12, there's no name under, under, given under heaven by which we must be saved. And so we because of the resurrection, are sure that we're literally telling the true gospel. If it weren't, as it says in verse 15, we'd be misrepresenting God. And it is a serious offense to misrepresent God. Those who are telling the wrong way to salvation are misrepresenting God. And that is a serious offense. However, and God can't be associated with falsehood. So um, if there's no resurrection, then we would be liars and we'd be making God a liar trying to tell people about this glorious resurrection. But in fact, he was raised. And so our message, as we proclaim, it has infinite value, but we're, we're telling the only way to salvation. The way to heaven isn't a mountain at the top to Jesus, and there's infinite paths up there, just no matter what religion you want to take. That's pluralism, and that's absolute heresy. There's one way, the narrow road, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so our resurrection ensures that we're literally telling the true gospel. What is it? Verse 3 and 4. We already read it. Verse 3 and 4. Here it is. That Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, whenever I preach, I always have a favorite point. I shouldn't because they're, they're all from the Bible. And so I should just love the Bible. But I just love number four. Um, because it's just, it's so personal to us. Like it's just so deep for what the glorious resurrection does for us. Um, and so, and it helps us, it helps us make sure we understand not just the cross, but the resurrection and, and the importance of it. And we'll get a little help from, from Mr. John Calvin. So uh, look with me at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. And here it is, the last little phrase, and you're still in your sins. Without the resurrection, we're still in our sins, even with the cross. Without the resurrection, you're still in your sins. Like, why? All right, let's talk about it. Number four, let's go ahead and make sure we put up number four. Christ's resurrection ensures that our sins have been forgiven 
And the second part is the most crucial. And defeated. Think of the cross as the forgiven side and the resurrection as defeated side. Here's why. So if, if, if it's just the cross and Jesus died for our sins and our sins are paid for and there wasn't a resurrection still in our sin. Calvin, John Calvin brilliantly points this out to us. He says, if the resurrection is overthrown, the dominion of sin is set up anew. In other words, if Jesus died on the cross and that's it and our sins are forgiven and there's no resurrection, you know what happens? Sin sets itself right up again and all of a sudden we're in the exact same boat. So we don't just need our sins forgiven. We need our sins forgiven. But we don't just need our sins forgiven. We need our sin defeated. The resurrection shows that Jesus didn't just die for sin but because he defeated it and came back to life. He paid the penalty but didn't stay dead came back to life and was raised to life, our sin is defeated now. Now we're going to get into the implications of that. And this is where it gets really awesome. This is where it gets really awesome. So um, this means that sin was paid for at the cross. It had to be defeated. And Jesus was not just resurrected, or not just dying on the cross, but he also was resurrected. So it wouldn't reestablish itself. And now Jesus, because of that, he defeated sin. He, he paid for sin and defeated sin. And because he defeated, it cannot reestablish itself anymore. Sin's totally defeated. We're no longer in our sins anymore in Christ. The resurrection shows this and proves this because Jesus defeated sin at the cross and defeated sin completely with the resurrection in our lives. So that's why when we read texts like this in, Matt, in Romans chapter 6, it says, verse 11, um, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The resurrection is how we literally consider ourselves resurrected. And then it says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Consider telling that to an unbeliever. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. They, it mean, it's useless. They can't not let that be true. No matter what, sin reigns in their mortal bodies. They must obey their passions. But because we're in Christ, not only was the sin paid, but it was defeated and we have the Holy Spirit in it. That verse, we can obey. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. The resurrection means you don't have to sin anymore. The, the, the cross means your sin's forgiven. The resurrection means whatever entangled you, you don't have to do. It has no power over you anymore. The resurrection is our sanctification. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, been brought from death to life and your members as God to instruments for righteousness. Only Christians can do that and they can only do it because of the resurrection. For sin will no longer have dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. The resurrection, this is why it's my favorite, means you don't have to do it anymore. It's paid for and you're free. You're free. Spurgeon, the great, glorious Charles Haddon Spurgeon, not more glorious than Jesus, obviously, not even close, right? He would never say that he was. He writes this regarding our righteousness, Christ being our righteousness. It's so great. It was irresistible grace that brought us to call him the Lord our righteousness. Grace lets you be able to say the Lord is our righteousness. It was that divine, it was that divine shell that broke into, I did that last time. 
It was that divine shall that broke in pieces our will. It was that strong arm that broke the iron sinew of our proud neck. It made us bow, even us, who would not have this man to reign over us. Over us. It was his finger that opened the icy heart. For once, we, at one time, we felt no love for him. But now, subdued by sovereign grace, our spirit longs for his embrace. Our beauty, this our glory dress. Jesus, the Lord, our righteousness. And this shall be our glory here in our song forever. The Lord, our righteousness. Because Jesus is your righteousness. You are righteous, holy, without blemish. That means you can, when I said there's implications for this life and the future life, the implication for this life means you literally can walk in that because of the Holy Spirit. And the resurrection is what brings that for us. Just (laughs) glorious. And so when we see here in verse 17, you're still in your sins. Praise the Lord, we're not in our sins. That sin has been forgiven and defeated, which brings us to the next one. Now we're going to talk about that hope in the future that I was talking about. This is number five. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus have perished. So first century, when you talk about falling asleep, it's not, you know, taking like a nap. It's like taking a dirt nap. It's like forever dead, right? And so uh, the falling asleep means you've passed away. And so said positively this way, number five, Christ's resurrection ensures we have promised to be in heaven with Jesus. So if there was no resurrection, if you've fallen asleep, you've just perished. You've just gone back into the ground. You have no consciousness. And it's like you never were here anymore besides people's memories. Well, that's terrible. That's absolutely dreadful. Who wants to hear that? No one, right? But the resurrection, because of the resurrection, it means that we don't just perish, but we also just don't go to medium blob state of nothingness. We go to heaven to be with Jesus forever. The resurrection does this for us. And so this is an amazing thing. Calvin writes, Of what advantage were it to the dead that they were once Christians? Hence our brethren who are now dead did to no purpose live in the faith of Christ. In other words, if you just go into nothingness, what in the world is the advantage of living for Christ when you're alive if you just die and there's nothing? What's the point? You might as well just eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you'll die. Do whatever you want for yourself. This is the only chance you get. So what's the advantage? He's saying there is no advantage. So if there is no God, there's no point of being a Christian. Do what you want. But that's not the case, right? The resurrection is true because there is a God who sent his only son to die on the cross and be resurrected forever. And so our lives have infinite value because there is a moment when we die and we'll be with him forever. And so we have this eternal promise to be in heaven with Jesus. And he shows us that while our life here is, uh, is great, with the resurrection, we will actually get to live forever with him. The glory of the resurrection is not that we just drift off into nothingness. Instead, um, we'll be with Christ forever. Does that prospect excite you? Does the idea of living in heaven with Jesus forever make you unbelievably excited. Let's make sure we understand. I'm not talking about just going to heaven, like a vacation in the sky. I'm talking about going to heaven with Jesus. The only reason heaven is great is because Jesus is there. 
there's a penetrating question from this book called God is the Gospel that John Piper writes. And it's just absolutely crucial to make sure we don't have some kind of fantasy land idea of what heaven is. This is what he says. The critical question for our generation and every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you've ever had on earth, all the foods you've ever liked, all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you've ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, no human conflict, no natural disasters, all of that could be satisfied in heaven. All of that. But Jesus wasn't still, what Jesus wasn't there. Would you still want to go? We all should with a resounding scream yell, no! Because heaven is a vacation in the sky. Heaven is we finally get to be with the savior of our souls, the lover of our souls, the one that died for us in our place and made it so that we can be forgiven forever and have imputed, applied righteousness to us. That's what's great about heaven is that we're finally with our savior. So go back to the same question. Does this idea of being in heaven with Jesus forever excite you? It totally should, right? And the resurrection is the key Christ's resurrection ensures that we have a promise with heaven because he was resurrected when we die. We will be resurrected. Leads us to our last one. While you're living, um, because there is a resurrection, living for Christ really matters. Day in, day out, reading your scriptures, trusting in Christ, sharing the gospel with people, even if it costs you your life, really matters. That's what we'll see here in verse 19. If, if in Christ, I'm sorry, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of most people to be pitied. Like if you just lived hardcore for Jesus this entire life and there's no, there's no resurrection, you were a great moral purpose, person. You really like were a great contributor to, to the society. You did all kinds of great things. If you prayed for people and helped people and all this kind of stuff, the kind of stuff that Jesus would want you to do. If you did all that, just one of the best citizens, he says, living for Christ in that way with no hope to heaven, you're most to be pitied. Why would you do that? You had a chance to really, like you only get one. Why would you not just live for yourself? If you live for someone else and there's no hope for heaven, you're most to be pitied that you gave your life to other things instead of yourself. Now, that's an infinitely selfish way to live if there is no Jesus. But since there is a Jesus, you don't live for yourself. You live for Christ. And we're not to be pitied. Instead, our sacrifice lives are not a waste at all. So number six, Christ's resurrection ensures our sacrifice lives for Jesus are not a waste. When I say sacrifice live, I mean if you get to live for 95 years and day in, day out, you kill sin, you read your Bible, you pray, you share the gospel, and you do everything and that, that the Lord would want us to live, to live for him. Or if at age 30, by sharing the gospel in the 1040 window, you are killed as a martyr. That sacrifice life, both of those are sacrifice lives because we don't get to play fun and have all the whatever and we also may go over to the 1040 window and give our lives for Christ. That sacrifice life is not a waste because it's for Christ. The resurrection ensures it. The resurrection tells you that your sacrifice life for Jesus is not a waste. Whether you live decades for him or you share the gospel in a hard place and it costs you your life. Telling others this, even if it costs of our life, is not a waste. So what does that mean for you right now? 
Like if you're thinking, if that's the case, if that's the truth, my sacrifice life for Jesus is not a waste. How does that transform the way you want to live your life right now? How does it transform? I don't know. You know. The Holy Spirit should be whispering some things into your mind right now about how it should change the way you live your life because it's not a waste at all. Christ's resurrection ensures that our sacrifice lives for Jesus are not a waste. Now, we're going to conclude here with 20 through 21 and 22 because he's going to um, implore us to believe. He's going to talk about Adam and, and Jesus. Adam, Genesis 3, sinned in the, in, the, uh, in, in the garden. And because he sinned, we all are now in Adam. We all sin. And he's going to say, Jesus is the new Adam. Because we all died in Adam, Jesus, we all get to have life. Jesus is the truer and better Adam. Adam brought us all death. Jesus brings us all life. And he's going to contrast him for a small little piece here. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This just means um, everybody's going to get resurrected. The first one is Jesus. He's the first one. And then we're all like glorious recipients of that same thing. Uh, it's for by a man came death, that's Adam, for my, because he sinned, we're all in him, and now we all uh, are born dead. By a man has also come the resurrection from the dead, that's Jesus. For, an, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. You can be made alive in Christ. You can, the same resurrection power that was given to Jesus can be given to all of us if you trust in Christ. Ephesians 2 says it this way. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgression. Here it is. By grace you have been saved through faith. So as we hear that. The declaration or the challenge for all of you. If you don't know Christ is. Trust in Christ. Believe right now. Repent of your sin. Say that Christ is your only hope. Receive forgiveness from him. Trust this moment in Christ. That's what the challenge for us is, to put our faith in Jesus. Be made alive by trusting in his death for us, his um, burial for us, and his resurrection for us today. You can become a believer today. If you are a believer in Christ and you hear these glorious truths, let it <laughs> encourage you that your life is not a waste. Your proclamation of the gospel is absolutely true. And you should, you should tell as many people as you can because one day we will be in heaven with Jesus, resurrected with him. Now, every few years I, I close with this uh, little passage and I want to close with it today. This is uh, who Jesus is. A man named Melito from a place called Sardis wrote this in 167 AD. I mean, just 60, 100 years or so after, after Christ. Um, a little bit more than that, 130. So very early, very, very early. And he wrote in one of his earliest ser Easter sermons of, of, of a text that was found. This is the passage that he wrote. It's, it's a little lengthy, but whew, so good. When the Lord had clothed himself with humanity, he had suffered for the sake of the sufferer and had been bound for the sake of the imprisoned. He had been judged for the sake of the condemned and buried for the sake of the one who was buried. He rose from the dead and cried aloud with his loud voice, 
Who is he who contends with me? Let him stand up in opposition to me. I set the condemned man free. I gave the dead man life. I raised up the one who has been entombed. Who's my opponent? I am, he says, I am the Christ. I am the one who destroyed death and triumphed over the enemy and trampled Hades underfoot and bound the strong one and carried off man to the heights of heaven. I, he says, am the Christ. Therefore, come, all families of men, you have been befouled with your sins and receive forgiveness for your sins. I am your forgiveness. I am the Passover of your salvation. I am the lamb that was sacrificed for you. I am your ransom. I am your light. I am your savior. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I am leading you up to the heights of heaven. I will show you the eternal father. I will raise you up with my right hand. This is the one who made the heavens and the earth, who was in the beginning that created man, who was proclaimed through the law and the prophets, who became human via the virgin, who was hanged on the tree, who was buried into the earth, who was resurrected from the dead, who ascends into the heights of the heaven, who sits at the right hand of God the Father, who has authority to judge everything and save everything, through whom the Father created everything from the beginning of the world to the end of the age. This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning and the end an indescribable beginning and an incomprehensible end. This is the Christ. This is the King. This is Jesus. This is the General. This is the Lord. This is the one who rose from the dead. This is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He reveals the Father and is revealed by the Father to whom be the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is our Christ that we worship this Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. And we thank you for the resurrection. Without it, we're still in our sins. Everything's meaningless. But the resurrection ensures life eternal for us because you defeated sin and death for us on our behalf. And so, Lord, we thank you so much. We pray that as we go into a time of worship and the Lord's Supper, our hearts um, would be full. And that our Um, spirit within us would want to glory in your glory.